The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. All right. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about gathered, but not scattered. Now, you'll understand that a little bit more, uh, hopefully, before we get through here today. A couple of questions. If you have a car containing a Cowboys running back, a Cowboys linebacker, and a Cowboys defensive back, who's driving the car? The police. That may take you a moment. What, what does a Cowboy fan do when his team wins the Super Bowl? He turns off the PlayStation. Uh, <clears throat> Roy, this is for you. You're just getting so tickled. Roy is a, uh, he's a Raiders fan. And uh, I heard the Raiders don't have a website because they can't put three W's together. So uh, <laughs> uh, anyway. In here yet. All right, we're going to get in a circle. <laughs> we're going to get in a bigger circle. Oh, you fumbled a ball over here, Colton. Move out here a little bit. All right, when I break the huddle, we're going to all try to clap at the same time, but we're not going anywhere, okay? On three. Ready? Break. And they see that you've got a few seconds and the clock's ticking down. They're anticipating the break. And uh, we break the huddle, and everyone goes to their positions to play the game. And that's the reason for the huddle. It's, it's a necessary part of the game because that huddle, you get directions in the huddle. You, you uh, tell the lineman which way they're going to block, and you tell the running back which way he's going to run, and you tell the receivers what they're fixing to do. And, and all of those things have a purpose in the huddle. And if we went to a game and, uh, and we came and all we saw was a huddle, what would happen? We as fans wouldn't be very happy, would we? If every time the quarterback got in the huddle and he called the play and they all said, okay, we're going on two, break, and they all broke, and they all kind of just stood around there a minute, and then the center said, huddle up, and they all huddled up again, and, and he said, okay, this time we're going to do this or that, and, and we're going on one, ready, break, and they all broke, and they all, after a few minutes, what's the crowd going to do? They're going to leave, they're going to boo, they're going to they're lose interest, because, you see, people don't come to a football game to watch the huddle. They come to a football game to, to see if their team can beat the opposition. So the opposition's there, and, and we gather up, and we huddle, and we say, okay, here's the game plan. We studied the book this week. We know what their defense is going to do. We know what their offense is going to do. And we've, we've put together a game plan, and we've practiced that game plan. And, and we're going to huddle up, and we're going to talk about the game plan. And we're going to say, remember, this play right here I think is going to work because they're going to expect us to do that, and we're going to do this, and it's going to work out. Has everybody got it? We've got it. Break. And then everybody goes to the line, and everybody gets in their position, And the quarterback, the team leader, kind of gets up and he checks everybody and he goes, okay, we're ready and we're ready to start the play. Now, what does that have to do with church this morning? Because we gather together on Sunday mornings and sometimes on Sunday nights and sometimes on Wednesday nights and we go nuts over our huddle. 
I mean, we say, what a huddle we had. My quarterback calls better plays than your quarterback. You should have been in our huddle Sunday. Man, we had some good plays called. And, and you know what? Our, our people out on the field, our praise team, they, they do a better job than your praise team because you should have heard us. I mean, we, we did everything. We, we didn't mess a note up. The, the guy leading the music didn't forget the words and lose where he was at on the page today. I mean, we had a great huddle. And we tend to do that as churches. We, we go off about our huddle. We go about how good our huddle was. But when church is over and when we say break, we kind of just wander back to our homes. We don't get in the game. We don't go line up at our positions. We simply say, oh man, we had a great huddle today. And on top of that, we didn't just have 40 seconds. We got out a little bit early out of our huddle. We had a little extra time after the huddle. And and that made things even better because we got to the cafe before the Church of Christ this morning because our huddle has shortened down a little bit today. And, And that's kind of the tendency of the church, isn't it? I mean, we, we think about the kind of huddle we have, but, but the success of our church or the effectiveness of the church, just like the effectiveness of a football team, can't be measured by how they huddle. I got on the Internet, and I was looking around at some different huddles. I thought I could find some funny clips or something. And there's two or three clips on how to have a huddle. Most of it's peewee football, and, and uh, there's some guy just as serious as a heart attack up there, and he's showing where everybody lines up, and these guys on the front's on their knees, or you can get in a circle, or you can do any number of things. And, and there's a, a 15 or 20-minute video on how to huddle up. And, and the, the, the success of that team doesn't mean, hey, they had a great huddle. Everybody looked the same. Everybody stood the same. Uh, uh, they were in the right positions, and, and everything was good. They broke at the same time. They left at the same time. Everything looked good. People don't leave a game saying, man, that was success because their huddle was so good. People leave the game and says, hey, we, we measured the success of that huddle by, by what took place on the field. And folks, when we think about our church, the, today the church, uh, the test of the church is not in this building. It's in the marketplace. It's out in the field. It's out where we come in contact with the opposition and we come in contact with Satan and, and there's a battle going on and there's, there's, there's defense and there's offense and there's Satan coming against us and we go back to our playbook and we say, okay, I'm prepared for this because we've talked about it and, and I understand where we need to be and what I need to be doing. And, and when we start doing those things, when we begin to perform those things, we realize the church is a representation of Jesus Christ. He's, he's our coach. He, he's ultimately the one that says, here's the playbook. I've given it to you. I want you to study it. I want you to know where to go, what to do. When you get in this circumstance and you see this happening over here, I have a defense for that. And when you have the opportunity and you see this door open over here, I have a plan for that. And God says, hey, if we'll line up and if we'll follow through on my playbook that I've given you, then the church will be a success. So we gather together, but we don't always scatter. And that's why I'm talking about gathered but not scattered. This morning over in Acts chapter 8, we're going to look at some ideals about being gathered and scattered. And over in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1... Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. 
And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Now, just hear what this is saying. Where was the church? It's at Jerusalem. So during this time, there's great persecution. It's rising against the church at Jerusalem. And all they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial. We're going to talk more about this in just a minute. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging men off and women and committing them to prison. Verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered, where were they at? They were gathered at the church of Jerusalem. They gathered at that church. There was persecution against the church. Saul, who later became Paul, who had that, who had that miraculous uh, uh, experience when he came in contact with the Lord and he realized that he was persecuting the one he was waiting to come, the one that he was waiting to, to be the Messiah. He realized his eyes were open to that. But during this time, Saul is persecuting the church at Jerusalem because of the persecution those who were there scattered from that church, and they went everywhere. And look what they did when they were scattered. They went everywhere preaching the word. Now, the problem of, of neglect came up in, in the church. There was widows in the church, and they were being neglected. And, and it was solved by an appointment of some men. The church in Jerusalem said, okay... There's widows in the church, they're, they're being neglected when it comes to food, when it comes to them just being able to live their lives. So we need to do something about this. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, we see that there were some men among the church in the community in Jerusalem who were appointed to meet those needs. It was Stephen and Philip. And Stephen's ministry went beyond the church. In other words, he, he was there, he was ministering in the church. This is where we get the idea of deacons in the church. And he was ministering there, but his ministry began to grow. So it grew outside of the church, and, and he began to proclaim God's word. And he was powerful in doing so. And he was winning many to Christ through the Holy Spirit. And, and so he's, he's going on, he's going on beyond the uh, the, the boundaries of the meeting, the, the needs of the church. In, in Acts 6, 8, it talks about the, the, the miraculous wonders and the signs and the things that accompanied, accompanied that. Well, this led to resistance. It led to persecution. And ultimately, it led to his stoning. And that's Acts chapter 7, verse 59. So we have Stephen... The church is being persecuted. Stephen goes out. He, he starts to, to make a big difference in the community. Paul come, or Saul comes. He's persecuting the church. He oversees the stoning of Stephen. So that's where we are right now. In turn, Stephen's death snowballed. It had the opposite effect of what they thought would happen into this massive persecution of the church started. See, they looked around and they saw... That, that, uh, uh, that Stephen was stoned, and, and they said, okay, we're going to get after the church. And, and Saul would go in, and he would drag people out of the house, put them in prison, and said, you're part of the church. And, and so it, it begins to get bigger and bigger and bigger and more persecution and more persecution and more persecution. Well, when all of those things started happening, the people in the church said, we're getting out of here. We're leaving Jerusalem. That's why it says here they were scattered 
We see that, that we read it, it said make havoc. The, uh, there's a couple of translations of that word. The, the other word is ravaged, and it's, it really means that he kept on ravaging the church. It, in other words, it wasn't a one-time thing. He just kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on. And, and because of that, he's making trouble for the church, and uh, he would keep it up until God stopped him. That's what Saul did. He, he kept on uh, ravaging the church, making havoc within the church until God stopped him. And that's, that's what I was talking about earlier. And that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. I want us to talk about the gathering and the scattering. Because the first thing, the gathering, the reason the church was gathered was to attain power. Well, that's kind of true with a huddle, isn't it? It's to, it's to understand and, and it's to come together as a team and say, okay, here's our strong points and, and here's what we're going to do to expose their weak points. So, so the gathering was to obtain power and, and as the text begins, we find the church still located in Jerusalem and they've done a, they've done a great work there and there's been many thousands come to know Christ there in the church in Jerusalem. <coughs> but when Christ left, what did he do? He gave a commission to the church. Y'all remember that over in Matthew 28, 19 and 20? And as God gave this commission, he says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of who? Every nation, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things which I have taught you, which I have commanded you, and lo, I'm going to be with you even till the end of the age. So God gave a, the church a commission, but where was the church? It was still in Jerusalem. So as this havoc came upon the church, they began to be scattered so I want you to think about this. Jesus had, had asked his disciples, he said, wait on the Holy Spirit. That's over in Luke chapter 24, 49. So he told the disciples, he said, you're going to wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't have time to talk about the Holy Spirit. We don't have to wait on the Holy Spirit any longer. Remember, this is the first time the, the Holy Spirit came upon people. And once Christ came and once we accept Jesus Christ our Savior, we're given all the Holy Spirit we'll ever get. There's not a separate blessing. There's not a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ was on the earth. They didn't need the Holy Spirit. When Jesus Christ ascended, he said, I'm going to send someone back, and it's going to be the Holy Spirit. He's going to come and live in you. So he said there, remain in Jerusalem. Until you receive power, Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even until the ends of the earth. So Jesus says you need to wait a little while. You need to tarry a little while in Jerusalem. And then you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. When we go and look at this, the words actually mean you and he says, not only you, but it, 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 it denotes plural, that actual word, which means all of you shall receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And then as he goes on, he says, and all of you will be my witnesses. He actually used the word there, martyrs, which we get our words martyrs from. So up until now, they had been witnesses of what God is doing in Jerusalem. They had simply witnessed what's taking place. And now they're going to be spread, they're going to be scattered, and that influence, they, they, they move from being witnesses to being tellers, to being teachers of what God has sown. So, so he gathered them together. He said, huddle up here. I'm going to give you directions. I'm going to give you power from the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to go, and you're going to be my witnesses to the utterly to the ends of the earth. 
So we're thinking about this. They had not moved from Jerusalem. They were in their comfort zone. And folks, that's the problem with us. Sometimes we, we get in our comfort zone, and, and when it's time to scatter, like it's pretty warm in here today to me, and we get pretty comfortable and start falling asleep, and then church is over, and it's time to scatter, and we say, you know what, I'm pretty comfortable right here. I don't really want to get outside of my comfort zone. I'm okay where I'm at. And that's kind of what the disciples had done. But, but God said, I want to scatter you. And he used persecution to scatter the church. Now, sometimes God has to nudge us to get us in the place of service. And I want you to think about this. You're not where you're at today because of your job. You're not where you're at today because of some decision you made in your life. If you're a born-again Christian, I believe this with all my heart, you are where you are because that's where God, that's where God wants to use you. That's where God wants... He planted you in that place. He said, this is the place you need to be. This is where we need to tackle, and this is where we need to guard, and this is where we need the center, and this is where we need a running back. And, and uh, everybody can't be a quarterback. You know, I, I coached peewee football in the first game. I, who wants to be a quarterback? Every kid wants to be the quarterback. Well, what are you going to do? You don't have nobody to block. You don't have nobody to center the ball. You don't have nobody to run the ball. See, God says, I'm going to put you in this place because... I already have some people in place here and some places there. And I'm going to fill in the holes and I'm going to use you. And because some circumstance changed in our life and we ended up at the place where we are, some of you were born here, some of us moved in here. But you know what? I believe that's because God has placed us where he wants us. And now he wants us to perform what we've learned in the huddle. He says, I need you to go out, and I need you to do your part. I think if we had Coach Green up here, and we, we wanted to talk about his offense or his defense, he would, he would probably say this, if everybody will do their job, it'll be a success. Isn't that kind of true, Coach Green? If, if people will do their job. But what we do sometimes, and we've seen this, I could tell you a whole story about when Jacob played football and, and uh, Honey Grove beat us. Y'all believe that? Somebody say boo. What happened was, we had a guy out here covering a receiver, and he looked back and he thought it was a run play, so he, he came back up here to play the run. And what happened? They threw the ball to the guy down there that didn't have nobody on him. What happened? He, he left his position. He said, you know what? I'd rather be up here playing linebacker. I'd rather be up here doing something. I got to get in on the action. And and he left where God had well, he left where his where his coach had told him. But that's what we do sometimes as Christians. We say, you know what, God, I want to do this. I'd rather be doing this. So by the way, God, just go ahead and bless me because this is where I'm going to work. When God says, wait a minute, I have someone more suited for that job. I need you to be working here. So when we think about that, we gather together. We study God's Word. We go to Sunday school. We come to church, and we begin to pray, and we begin to seek direction. And God says, okay, this is a perfect place for you, and you'll succeed in this place if you'll simply follow me. So, so he gathers us together that we might receive power. The ideal for Saul was this, I'm going to destroy the church. I'm going to persecute the church. I'm going to tear the church apart. Because of that, the church was scattered out. And because they were scattered out, they began to witness. They received power in Jerusalem. They received power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing, they were scattered out that they might proclaim the Word. 
They were scattered that they would proclaim. There's three principles about being scattered. When they were scattered out, they didn't agonize. You ever been scattered? You ever had to move out of your comfort zone and you just, you just agonize over it? I mean, you just, you just worry about it. They were, they were called to be disciples. They were scattered out. And they could have been refugees or missionaries. Now, what's the difference? You know what a refugee is? A refugee is somebody that, that is ruled by fear. In other words, they're afraid to go back home because they can't go back home. They're afraid of what's happening around them because they're in a strange place. And they're, they're, they don't know to go forward. They don't know where to go backwards. They're, they're just in a strange place. So they live their lives afraid and they're refugees. You know what a missionary does? A missionary says, okay, I'm scattered away from Jerusalem. God has placed me over here in this place and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the best of it. I'm going to live a life that, that's ruled by joy, not by fear. And the way a missionary does that, he says, I'm going to proclaim Jesus' word. He, he gave me a playbook. He knows where I'm at. He knew where I would be right now. He knew what I would be doing today. And, and he's placed me here that I might have joy. You know, Jesus said, I came that, that I, you might have joy and that your joy may be full, that your joy may be complete. So that's the difference between there. They were, they were scattered about, but they didn't agonize about that. The, the word says in verse 1, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. That word scattered means dispersed. There's, there's two meanings. I thought this was interesting. Disperse so that the item is gone from that point on. You know what that, that part of that word means is, would be the best illustration I could think about is somebody's ashes, not cigarette ashes, somebody's ashes that, that they were cremated. And, you know, people have different ideals about that. And some people say, hey, I want you to scatter my ashes in a river somewhere or in the ocean. And, and they, they, they disperse those ashes, and from that point on, they're gone. That's not the word that, that Christ used here. He, he used the word scattered. That, that meant disappear, which it sounds like it means disappear, but that's not what it means. It's an agriculture term that, that a farmer would use when he scatters seed. So when Jesus says they were scattered, he used that agriculture term, and they scattered and were planted, and they were also planting. See, if we understood that word and understand what Jesus is saying, they were scattered out that they might plant seeds, that they might grow where they were planted. So Jesus says, and they were all planted out. They were all scattered out throughout the regions of Judah and Samaria, that they might plant seeds. Not that they might go there and, and be gone from that day on. They were planted there, that they might bloom, that they might produce fruit there where they are. That's what the, the early Christians did. That was, that, was their, that was their purpose. That was their job. That's why God had scattered them out. So when I, I want to ask you to think about it. When you find yourself scattered, either by work or family or education or any kind of other circumstance, have you considered planting yourself in that place and saying, okay, I'm going to put down some roots here and I'm going to bore some fruit. I'm going, to, I'm going to produce some fruit for Christ. I may be uprooted and moved to some other place, but while I'm here, I'm going to go ahead and plant some roots and I, I'm going to start producing. That's what, that's what these Christians do. It may not be persecution that moves us. It could be any kind of life activity 
that's moved us. But, but think about planting yourself there. So the second thing, when they were scattered, they didn't agonize, but they didn't criticize. You know what this church could have done real easy? Think about what we read. Who started all this? Stephen. They elected Stephen to take care of the widows. What in the world is Stephen doing out there proclaiming the gospel? If he'd have kept his mouth shut, Saul wouldn't be in here tearing his church apart. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of natural, isn't it? Hey, Stephen, think about this. You, you stay here, you take care of the widows like we ask you to do, and everything can go just like it's been going. See, sometimes we tend to criticize, and, and when things go wrong and, and when things don't seem right, we begin to point the fault at others. We say, okay, it, it's your fault, and, and yeah, you're in the huddle, but, but it's your fault you called the wrong player. It's your fault you went the wrong direction. It, it's your fault that we ended up in this situation. But see, those who were scattered, they didn't criticize. They simply understood that, that they were planted, and they moved, and they began to, the last thing, evangelize. So when they were scattered, they, they, they didn't criticize but they begin to evangelize. These were ordinary Christians. You know, we've been talking a lot over the last six weeks about how God uses ordinary people. These weren't apostles. Where were they? They were still in Jerusalem. These were ordinary Christians. And verse 1 says they were all scattered throughout these regions except the apostles. So, so when we read this, we, under, we need to understand that, that God was using ordinary, everyday people to fulfill His purpose. You know what? That's never changed. To this day, that's never changed. They, they, they spread the word informally. They spread the word through lifestyle evangelism. That's simply letting others see what Christ has done for you. They spread the word through their everyday activities. And this morning you might say, well, you know, I, I just can't do that. I, I, I'm, I, I, I have a fear of... of Going and talking to someone about Christ, it makes them uncomfortable. When the bottom line is most of the time it makes us uncomfortable, so we just avoid that. Well, you know what? There's somebody in the Bible named Andrew, and we can all do what Andrew did. You know, Andrew was one of the disciples, and the Bible says when Andrew met Jesus, he went home and he got his brother Peter, and he brought Peter to Jesus. You know, folks, there's no way that we can say, I, I'm not equipped to do those things. We can all be an Andrew. We can all say, you know what? I want you to come and I want you to come visit our church with us. We have a great huddle, <laughs> you know. Uh, I want you, and don't say that because I think you're a nut, but, but say, hey, I want you to come and, and uh, just, would you come to church with me Sunday? I'll buy your lunch afterwards. You know, people won't turn down a lunch most of the time. Uh, uh, come to church with me sometimes. We can all be an Andrew, and, and when God calls us, he, he, he scattered the church, and through persecution they were scattered. They didn't criticize, but they went out and they began to evangelize. There's some really fundamental basic principles we need to remember, and I'm closing right now. When it comes to evangelism, when it comes to evangelizing, they're real easy to remember. The first is this, people are lost everywhere we go. Do you realize, I know you realize this, but you ever think about this? I, I say this a lot. Our default location is not heaven. You know, everybody thinks that. I, I don't think you'll talk to very, very few people that say, yeah, when I die, I'm going to hell. What are they going to say? Oh, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> I want to go to heaven. 
I'm going to be in heaven. Boy, everything's going to be right. I'm going to be in heaven. You know what? We, we, come, we come to Christ. We come to God through Jesus Christ. And Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned, and everyone's fallen short of the glory of God. We have to receive the gift. And God says, I'm going to give it to you freely. In other words, all we have to do is confess, Hey, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've fallen short of your mark, and, and God, I want you to forgive me, and I, I want Jesus' blood to cover me. That's, that's what it is to be a Christian. That's, that's not complicated. That's not getting into a bunch of questions we can't answer. It's simply saying, you know what? The basic line is this. We have all sinned, and we've all messed up. And because of that, we've fallen away from God. We've fallen away from, from that default location of heaven to hell. And if we'll simply admit that we're sinners, if we simply say, God, I need your forgiveness and I want the blood of Jesus to cover me, then we're saved. It's that simple. That's something we need to remember. The second thing, people need to know about Jesus everywhere we go. So the first is this, everywhere we go, people are lost. And, and people need to know about Jesus everywhere we go. Acts 4.12 says that there is not salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, and that's the name of Jesus. So, so wherever we go, we run into lost people. And, and lost people need to know about Jesus wherever we go. I always say, you know, if you had a cure for cancer, what would you do? I, I honestly believe if, if you had come up with a cure for cancer, you would work seven days a week spreading the word, wouldn't you? You want everybody to know. You'd love to go into a hospital and say, you know what? I found a cure. You would love to go. You might go to friends first, family first, then friends, then, then strangers. But as success began to grow, you would want everybody to know. Well, folks, we have the cure for death. And, and we should be excited and say, you know what? I found the answer. I may not can share it with you, but, but come with me. I want you to hear about it. Andrew, come on, Peter. You've got to hear about this. And here's the last thing. We're to evangelize everywhere we go. Acts 1.8. Did you not say there's still four months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what Jesus says. This is John chapter 4, verse 35. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look into the field for they are already white unto harvest. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, yeah, everywhere we go, there's people lost. And everywhere we go, there's people that need to hear about Jesus. And when we look out there, all we need is someone to go and be the Lord of the harvest. He says, they're there. They're ripe. What does that mean? They just need somebody to pick them. They're not an old sour persimmon, even though sometimes on Sunday morning we look like we got a hold of one. I mean, that's not what God is saying. He's saying, the, it's ripe. The harvest is ready. All I need is someone to go to the fields and pick the harvest and take what God has to give us. Here's the last thing, and this is the conclusion. The, the trouble that Saul had with others is, uh, is he thought he was making them ineffective to the end, but he wasn't. He, he, was, he set out to destroy the church, but... The more he tried to destroy the church, the more the gospel spread. That was what happened. As a result of that, this spread covered the cities. And look at in Acts 8, 8. You don't have to turn there, but listen to what Acts chapter 8, verse 8 said. The result of this. Saul comes in. He's, he's mixing up the church. He's, 
He's trying to tear the church apart. The gospel began to spread. And in Acts 8, 8, 8, we read, So there was a great joy fell upon the city. What was the reason for that joy? Jesus had set people apart from slavery of sin and to freedom. And because of that, there was great joy. Their greatest enemy, Saul, he ultimately joined them because he realized there was great joy in the city. Let's bow together this morning. And Father, I pray this morning, as we get ready to break the huddle, we get ready to go out to the playing field. We know that there's an enemy that that prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking that which he can devour. We know, Father, you've given us a a warning to to resist the devil and he'll flee. You've given us a warning to, to be careful and not give Satan a foothold. You've given us also a commission. You've given us a testimony, if we're born again Christians, to say, you know, I know what God has done for me and I know I have eternal life. I know I admitted one day that I'm a sinner, that I've fallen short of God's mark, and I've asked Jesus to come and, and cleanse me from my sins. Father, I pray that we'd know that with salvation comes joy. Lord, I pray that we'd be about your business. As we break up from the huddle, as we go to our different positions, whether they'd be uh, at Encore or, or whether they'd be at the school system or whether they'd be out running a dozer or whether they'd be... Uh, delivering food or, or delivering packages, where, wherever you've placed us, Lord, I pray that we'd know that we're there for a purpose, that you've, you've gathered us today, that we'd receive power, that we'd receive an understanding of your purpose for us, and then we scatter today to go about your business. Lord, I pray that the success of this church would not be measured today on how the preacher done how the praise team done, how the Sunday school went. But, Father, the success of this church will be measured outside of these doors as we begin to see those who are ripened to harvest being brought to you, that your kingdom will be built and that you'd be glorified. Father, today I pray that we would surrender our all to you. I pray, Lord, that, that you would understand you don't want us to die for you. You want us to live for you and that we can live just where you've placed us, a lifestyle that draws others to you. Lord, I pray now as we have an opportunity just to respond to your Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, if there be any here who have never accepted you as a personal Savior, Lord, I pray today would be the day of salvation. I pray, Father, your Spirit would move us, you would open our eyes, open our minds to the directions and the plans for each of us. And I pray, pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.